everybody. Welcome to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin. And I'm Clayton. And I'm your roommate novel veteran. And I'm the Virgin. And we're your hosts. Hi, Clayton. Hello. How's it going? Good. So this is a, this is a big episode. This is a big episode. And I feel like I didn't realize or I had forgotten that this was like such a big book. I We picked this last month because I think I was just like, well, I don't know what else to do. And this is a book that's always been on our radar. Or you know what I mean? I always knew we would get to eventually. So I'm like, let's just do it. And then yeah, you guys had the response was really big from you guys. It seems like you're really excited about this one. So this is Romancing Mr. Bridgerton, which is by Julia Quinn. Mm -hmm. And I feel like she's a huge part of my education that I was missing. Yeah, Julia Quinn is 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 a, a big romance writer yeah she's she's really huge in the in the genre and especially this series it seems like it really was a a a huge series her book so the first book in the series the duke and i was pretty like pivotal and was a bit of a game changer i think for the for the genre um you know those big books that come up every few years um this book is number four in the series, um, so it's it's a little bit deeper in, but this is definitely one of the books I think that gets talked about the most, and this is a couple that gets brought up a lot. So, What is your history with the Bridgerton novels? Um, let me look up when The Duke and I was printed. Because it, lo- it looks like Romancing Mr. Bridgerton came out in 2002. So if this is the fourth book, I'm assuming that the first one was maybe, depending on her how fast she could write or if she had him in the chamber like 98 maybe see this is how fast romance is first published january 5th 2000 whoa so she wanted to hit the new millennium Mm -hmm. she was like i can't have a book come out in the 20th century 21st century for me (laughs) <laughs> well no th- this these were not her first books like she's a prolific writer she is she has written i i don't know how many a, a ton of books so yeah the well, duke and i wasn't her first but okay well according to her bio she as soon as she graduated college she picked up a pen and never stopped <laughs> or hit a typewriter and never stopped hitting it one of those options I hopefully a typewriter. I think a pen, you know, that was what was crazy. If you think about like the people used to just write novels longhand. Oof. Yeah. Not, who had the time? Um, My history with the Bridgertons, I, it was like early in my romance reading that I read the Duke and I, and I don't know what it was about the Duke and I that I was like, okay, I'm in. There are eight books in this series. It's a pretty long series, but I'm like a completist. I think that Penelope shows up in the Duke and I, and it's just like a little scene about her and her two sisters being at a ball and the heroine speaks to her and is sort of like, um, oh, I feel bad for her, but she has like a spark of intelligence or something. Or Penelope says something that sort of like tips you off that she's somebody. And I think it was the first time that I had been reading a series and I was like, okay, so we're going to get her book. And I was just like obsessed with with getting to Penelope's book because even in that tiny scene, she's shown pretty brightly. And so I was like ready and on board. Um, And I think I read all of the Bridgertons in like a week or a week and a half. Like I just plowed through them. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I this book was on the longer side. It was 400 plus pages, but man, it just flew. Mm-hmm. It really, it really flew. I this was just an old fashioned romance that sucks you in, and I wasn't. Well, we'll get into it. I, I, I I'm jumping the gun. Let's. Yeah. We need to uh, uh, judge a cover first, right? Right, and obviously because these are immensely popular books, they have been re released a bunch of times. There are a ton of covers available. I only do the like American covers. Um, and so we have four. So we have the mass market from 2002, the mass market from 2015, the paperback from 2002, and the paperback from 20, from 2006. Um, so none of these are dynamite. No. The one I had was the mass market from 2015. Mm-hmm. And there's just, it's just a mirror lying on what looks like just silk sheets has nothing to do with anything but it's a very it's a very quote-unquote romance type cover and I, I don't hate it i mean you can tell it's a romance definitely also it's called romancing mr bridgerton so if it was a spy novel that's deceptive <laughs> marketing and the rest of them also don't don't really catch my eye the one that's a little bit different than the rest is the paperback from 2006 which has a a a a kind of old school cartoon cover in the sense that it's it's more like a chick lit cover cartoon not to be derogatory but you get that feeling too you know like it's it looks like a, a bridget jones's diary kind of uh cover yeah it was these this style of cartoon and women drawn this way was everywhere in like the late 90s early aughts like every book had just these impossibly thin women with very long arms like that was just the style very thin long limbs um so when i came across that cover i was like oh this is really funny because this is such a time capsule like of 2006 and if you had a romance novel 2006 it would look like this um it i don't like it i mean i don't i don't like that artistically that style it's not for me i mean i think of these the most dynamic is probably 2002 um which is like a dark purple background with the house and then julia quinn and the romancing mr bridgerton in like a minty color which i think is pretty but i agree for this book and the amount of love that it gets and the, you know, the place that it holds, I feel like the title is not great. And then the covers never really seem to live up to it either. Um, yeah. But you know what we're going to be getting very, very soon is the Netflix tie-in covers. Mm-hmm. And they're probably going to have photos of yeah. screenshots on there. Not no one's gonna. It's not gonna be like a photo of a screenshot, but it's gonna be you know like a screenshot (laughs) from the series because that would be like Netflix has money. Like they will be yeah. (laughs) It'd be really bad bad looking if you took a photo of a screenshot. (laughs) They um. It's interesting too because obviously when I read this for the first time, like there was no Netflix series, there was no nothing, so it was just you know whatever people in my mind and this was funny because i read it knowing who has been cast as these characters 
Um, and it meant, and it was like a bit of a different reading experience because I was like picturing them, those actors, despite those actors not really following what the description is in the book. Oh, okay, Clayton. What was this book about? So this book was about Colin Bridgerton, who is the third son, and you can tell he's the third son because his name starts with C, and <laughs> the Bridgertons name their kids alphabetically, <laughs> which is corny as hell, but I loved it, and it, it, it yeah. it's easy to keep track because they have what eight kids or something. I want to know when in the line that like Violet and her husband decided to start doing that. Cause do you think that they were like, we're going to listen, we're going to have so many fucking kids. Like we got to figure out a way to organize them now. Or do you think that they had like Anthony Bennett and Colin and they were like, Oh, that's funny. It's ABC. Let's keep going. Like, I think once you do the a and then the B you either completely change it up or you're doing alphabetical. You got to Cause it's it, cause two it sets that precedent I think in a way that you can't ignore. And then because uh, yeah. once you do C, that is that is uh, that's on purpose, definitely. Colin, so so Colin was at the was the last time that that was was the first like intentional one. You think probably if if it wasn't always intentional that i think that would be the first intentional one yeah okay that makes sense i grew up with a family that had six kids and the boys were named jimmy johnny and joey and i asked that's that's really hard (laughs) i asked their mom i was like why did you name them all j names and she was like well i didn't realize i had done it until i had done it i was like how did you not realize you had done it you had done it she was like i don't know i was pregnant for (laughs) Hormones. That's very true. Yeah. Including uh, hormones. For six years, I don't know why I did anything I did. And I was like, fair enough. So uh, you can't question the mom. So Listen, people Colin... make decisions. People make decisions. Okay, I'm so sorry. Yeah, Colin is number three because he's C. Yeah. And real charmer. He's a guy who has a nice crooked smile, which I liked. I like the crooked smile. That just shows me kind of like what he looked like, even without knowing the actor that's going to play him in the Netflix series. And Penelope Featherton is, she's younger than him. And in the first scene, we see her scare the horse that he's on. He falls and he just laughs it off and she falls in love immediately. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to travel the world and she's she's back at home becomes a spinster basically because she's 28 when we see her again colin is 33 and he slowly slowly falls in love with her when she has been in love with him the whole time we also have this running mystery of who is lady whistledown because Lady Danbury, who is this old woman that people don't like, is saying the season, which is when all of the women look for mates, has been really boring. And she wants to spice it up. So she's going to say, whoever can figure out who Lady, uh, sorry, whoever can figure out who Lady Whistledown is, is going to get, what, a thousand pounds, a thousand pounds, which I had no clue how much that was comparatively but we find out that that one of the characters has 
uh, a good amount of money from being Lady Whistledown, because that is revealed, spoiler alert, in this book, and only has about 8,000 plus from their, not their whole time, but from a good amount of time of being Lady Whistledown. And that's, that's richness, or at least a, a good personal fortune to have. So anyway, they do fall in love, they get married, and there's so much more that happens in this book. So I just wanted to do a really wide view of it. So what did you think of this book? I liked it a lot. I thought that I really liked Penelope because she's intelligent. She's a wallflower. She does have a wicked wit. She's not she's she's not conventionally beautiful, but I could imagine falling in love with her because of these qualities, especially when she was with Colin. She really does become such an such a fun, interesting character. Colin, I will tell you, I did like, but there was some things he he wasn't dynamic enough for me to really fall in love with. Other than I do think he is a charmer and I think he'd be a cool guy to hang out with. He seems like the kind of person that would make you feel like you're the center of attention when he's talking to you and he you feel really good, but I don't know if I could I don't know long term with Colin for me. But I think they're a good match. What is your thoughts? I mean, I loved this book. I loved this book when I first read it. And, you know, when they announced the series, the Netflix series, this was also the book that I was, like, most excited about. And and these were the characters I was excited about. And it's interesting. Like, we've talked before about the big difference between just reading a romance or, or any book, just reading a book, with no intention to ever talk about it and then reading it really thinking about like what am I going to say about this book or what is this the deeper thing happening here and how profoundly different of an experience it is and I still loved the book I still really enjoyed myself I enjoyed Colin I still love Penelope but I found it to be really more interesting and I think I was thinking about it on different levels than I had been the first time I read it because I also think the first time I read it I was binging all of the Bridgertons and just going through and going through and going through and I think this one was really interesting because it does play with identity in a way that on levels that I don't know that I saw the first time I think I I I don't really remember my feelings like the first time I read it other than just enjoying it so who knows maybe I was this smart (laughs) but I doubt it so but because that's kind of what this book is about so you obviously have Ladle Whistledown who this is like the big spoiler for the series this is also the reason why I didn't want to do this book because I knew I, I wanted to if we did a Bridgerton I knew I wanted to do this Bridgerton but there's such a big reveal in this book. I didn't want to ruin it. So if you haven't read the Bridgertons, I would say, I don't know, this is a reveal. Maybe just read the Bridgertons and come back. But uh, Penelope is Lady Whistledown. And so, you know, she's hiding her identity throughout the book as being this person who's so massively influential in society um, and becomes sort of a bit of a like a society like fairy godmother in that she really points out this hypocrisy within the ton and doesn't really pick on the people everyone else is picking about other than their sectoral choices, which I think is just kind of funny. 
Um, but then you also have Penelope and Colin, and I feel like themselves are hiding. Colin is this really magnanimous, really open, loving, comes from this big family. Like, I think we've all met Collins in our life, and he's really dissatisfied with that mask, and he's dissatisfied with the identity he shows to the world, and he complains to Penelope about it, about how Lady Wilson only says he's such a charmer and all these things, and he doesn't feel like that's really what he is, and he feels like he doesn't have a purpose, and he's... Uh, you know, when the mask slips, when he and Penelope are in more like intimate conversations, like he's not as nice of a person. He's a little bit, uh, he's really hard on Penelope and he can be really, um, you know, a little jealous, which he admits to um, and other things. And it's interesting that that sort of is what's lurking behind this like affable, congenial guy. Um, and the same thing with Penelope, like but Penelope is like, clearly like profoundly shy to the fact where like she like maybe she has an anxiety disorder or something we've also met people like penelope who are just like very very hard like they um have a hard time sort of existing in society because of how shy they are or sort of what they've internalized um but that isn't who penelope is penelope is very smart and funny and witty and loving and all of these things um so I just really found it interesting. I think, you know, this isn't a book where like a ton happens. Like there's no, you know, third act, nobody's getting kidnapped. But it's really interesting to just watch these two people who feel like they know each other, but don't because they only each know the other one's um, society personality and not truly who they are. Find out who that person is, who they each really are and then falling in love with that version of that person so Penelope was always in love with Colin and then has to fall in love with like who he really is Colin never really had interested in Penelope but fell in love with who she really was instead so um I love that I I love the Colin reveal that he has a temper Mm-hmm. that he like you said he can be very jealous because he's jealous once he figures out that once penelope tells him that she's lady whistledown he's he doesn't want to talk about it because one reason is she'll be ruined if it's revealed but the real reason is he's a writer too because he writes these journal entries about his travels and he's jealous of her and the fact that she has this 10 year career as a writer and he and he just doesn't have that he didn't have that passion he didn't have that kind of legacy because he always is talking about his legacy he doesn't he's 33 and he's just a charmer and he doesn't want to be that and i think a lot of relationships especially when people are younger one of the partners will idealize the other one Mm -hmm. and when that person shows that they're a human it becomes a problem and I loved how these characters were able to surmount that issue where she did idealize him for so long and then realized he's a real person, but also still could love him for what he was. And even though he does have some bad behaviors like those things, because the anger thing was big for me because he was always cool and calm in public and that was his persona. And then there was a time when they're at their uh what is it their their wedding the pre-wedding celebration that they were having their engagement party or whatever it was 
and she was supposed to not publish her last Lady Whistledown column. Although she never agreed. They never had an agreement her not to do it. But he catches her trying to publish the, the, the last column and forbids her, I guess. But she still does it. And then the the newspaper boys come into the reception and are just like, hot off the press, hot off the press, which I thought was a really funny scene. <laughs> and he's so mad that he's like gripping her arm to, to and almost bruising it. And she said, well, what's she was thinking in her head? I guess it's better that he gives me a bruise than to un, unleash his anger that is actually underneath. And I was like, wow, that's really fucked up. Mm-hmm. He's so repressed. And, and you know, the fact that she would think that's okay. Obviously, it's, it's, a, it's back in the day. And so I know nowadays that would be like, you can't do that. And to have a thought like that. But people still do think like that because they don't want their partners to be embarrassed. And that's when you can get into a dangerous situation, obviously. It never gets that way. And it's not that big of a it's not that big of a deal in the narrative, but it stuck out to me. But but in a broader sense, like he never thought she was perfect and then falls in love with her, quote unquote, like imperfections that become things that he loves. But then she has to fall in love with his imperfections, which I just thought was so lovely. And I wanted to be on that on that train with them. Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy. And I'm here with my first cup of coffee every morning on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. I'm an award-winning author of fantasy and romantic fantasy, and I chat with you over my first cup of coffee of the day, discussing what it's like to be a career author. I honestly share the ups and downs of this business, including my daily challenges and triumphs in getting my novels written. I give insights into the business side of being a writer, including agents, publishing, both traditional and self-publishing paths, and how much money I really make. I also give writing advice and reflect on leading a fulfilling and creative life. It's low-key, conversational. The cats sometimes put in appearances. I hope you all will join me there. Sit down and have a cup of coffee with me. If you can go back to remembering the first time you read this, Lady Whistledown, I guess, is a narrator through the first few books, right? Mm-hmm. When did you know in this book who Lady Whistledown was? I think, like, I would love to be like, oh, I obviously knew it was Penelope. I don't think I did. I think I thought it was, like, Lady Danbury. I think I thought it was, I think I had thought it was Eloise for, a while, like, a previous book for some reason. Um... Or I think I thought it was just somebody that we hadn't met yet. I don't know that I thought it could be Penelope. Maybe it wasn't her actually like revealing herself, but I think it was like pretty late in the game. <laughs> I don't think you, I... you knew it wasn't Cressida. Cressida? Chris... I knew it wasn't Cressida. Cressida. No, I no. Because Cressida sucks. She's the fucking worst. <laughs> I think... Because now reading it, knowing that it was Penelope, I think I read all those scenes differently at the beginning, whenever she would like think about Lady Whistledown or what she would say. And now I'm like, oh, that's so funny. That's so clever. Like she's talking about herself. 
But yeah. no, I don't think that I knew much earlier than when the book revealed it. But also the way that it is revealed is like upsetting. I was surprised by how profoundly upset I was about not profoundly upset, but how like off-putting it was. Basically what happens is like Colin has decided that he's, you know, in in love with Penny, with Penelope. And I think that they might be engaged at that stage, if not just like seriously dating. And um, he happens to see her get in like a hired hack, get in like a cab and follows it to St. Bride's to this church where is sort of how she um, corresponds with her publisher and how she leaves uh, things to be published. And he like stalks her, watches her put it down and then reveals himself and like really toys with her in a way that like borderline seems a bit cruel. Yeah, He reacts very badly to this information. Yeah. And then immediately is like, you know, you'll be ruined. And Penelope is sort of like, well, I don't know. I'm a 28 year old spinster. Nobody talks to me anyway. And she's like, and I think yeah, my how best much friend... more ruined can I be? Right. And she's like, I don't know. I think my best friend will still talk to me. So I think I'll be fine. Um, You know, that that's the last column because Cressida has said that she is uh, she is Lady Whistledown if as if she could be that smart or introspective no thanks so that's penelope sort of saying like i can't have it be her and colin doesn't really listen to what she's saying he kind of steamrolls her and it was interesting also to read this book and have that information of like this is also a book about somebody who is like idolized somebody for a better part of her life like the entirety of probably her being like a sexually awakened person. Um, and the amount that Penelope allows Colin to get away with, I I was like, oh, I wish that she kind of stood up for herself a little more. And ultimately she does. And I think Penelope is just not somebody who's going to sort of like yell in someone's face. But what Penelope wants, she gets. And I can really appreciate somebody who just is like, okay, well, let's placate the situation. But yeah, the night of our engagement ball, I will publish this, this, and then it'll be too late and you won't be able to go back and haha, see, we still got it done. So. Because she wanted her legacy to be intact. She, she mm-hmm. at least if she still wanted to stay a secret, she needed to make sure that someone she hated who was cruel to her mm-hmm. didn't get credit because it wasn't about the money because Penelope had made a ton of money being Lady Whistledown. So she didn't really need the money. It was about the legacy, which is what Colin was sullen about. He wanted to have a legacy. And so I did not know who Lady Whistledown was until the author wanted me to know. <laughs> because because I think that was really well done. Because you start to get a feeling that, oh, wait, okay, Penelope's taking a lot of She's owning, she's, she's, she's internalizing a lot of this and personalizing a lot of this. So I was like, she's got to be Lady Whistledown or know who it is. So that's where Eloise was, was still in the picture for me, which is, you know, Colin's sister and, and Penelope's best friend. But it was like, well, now I think, you know, I was thinking, I was doing the math in my head. I was like, well, if this is Penelope's book and this is the big Lady Whistledown reveal, it's going to make sense that she is Lady Whistledown. But I wasn't ruined at any point with 
guessing who it was because the thing with me is like, you know, I don't read the descriptions of these books. So I didn't know that this re- that this was going to be a reveal in this book. And I did not know that this was going to be a plot point of finding out Lady Whistledown's true identity until it was brought up in the book. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't looking for it until Lady Danbury brings it up. So that's, that's I think, uh, that's why I don't read the descriptions. Because that way I'm very, very invested in in the narrative because I don't have any preconceived notion as to what I should be looking for. But I thought that was really well done. I also, yeah, I agree with you that he, he gets so mad that she's in this hack and she's going to the city by herself. That was how he was trying to cover up his, his jealousy and his kind of anger was, well, you, you wouldn't be safe and you needed someone. And it's like, she's been doing this for how many, you know, how many months or years since her publisher passed? Like, she's been mm-hmm. doing this for a while. She's fine. I mean, she didn't want to be, she got left without her, without her hack or whatever. And that was scary because she was just in the middle of the city. So it was cool that he took her home. But that was scary. But she had like somebody waiting for her. She just went into the church, came back out and then went home. So it wasn't like, super dangerous right right i think it obviously like obviously maybe it was like three percent he was mad that she was in a dangerous area by herself and it was like 97 percent he was mad about or just jealous and i think it's interesting i don't know that i've read another romance novel that deals with jealousy in the way that this book really explores it and doesn't shy away from it and it's about and especially that it's like Penelope is a, like obviously a very talented writer. And I think, you know, obviously there were female authors back then, but I don't know that she would have had the success that she had had she just been writing fiction non anonymously. And, and obviously it's more difficult for I mean, it's more difficult for female authors now. I think it was, it was pretty difficult back then. Um. And, and and so it's interesting that Colin, who is good looking and from a very influential family and does not have to worry about money and is also talented, instead of him thinking like, oh, wow, so Penn was able or Penelope was able to do this um, kind of with her limited resources, like imagine what she could do if she had my resources or imagine what I could do with my resources. Instead, he's like, she did this and I didn't. And that makes like reflects poorly on me, which is just like kind of insane. But that's also the way that jealousy works. <laughs> so well, yeah, it, it's not like a it's, rational thought. And it's and it's not and it wasn't physical jealousy. He wasn't jealous of another man being around her. So that's what makes it more interesting, because it is it. it most of the jealousy we deal with in romance novels is about your ex or mm-hmm. y- this or that. But this w- this is about something like deeper. It's about legacy. It's about passion. It's about what people do and what they create and how you can feel less than if you feel like you have opportunity and talent and for some reason you're not putting it together and you see somebody who, like you said, has, has less opportunity but is excelling. And it's a real – it was really prescient because – he reveals to her his true feelings about, you know, I'm. everybody just thinks I'm charming. I want to do this and, and, and all this stuff. And she says, 
you have no right to complain. She says, you're rich, you're handsome, you come from a, a, a family that is respected, and if you wanted to do something, you have the ability to do it. And she gets mad and kind of storms out when he reveals how he feels like he hasn't been able to do anything, which is a real vulnerable place for him to be. But she does kind of call him on his privilege, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting because that's kind of the the cultural conversation at the moment is calling out people for privilege. But it's done in a way, I think, that is she's not trying to ruin him, obviously. She's trying to kind of get into his head that, yeah, you can sulk and you can have these feelings, but you shouldn't. You you, you need to do something instead of just sulking about this. You need to, like, I'll help you edit your 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 diary entries. Like, these journal entries are great and you need to just put them out there. And he has fear that, People aren't going to, number one, they won't get published. Number two, they get published and nobody likes them. Or he'll get, you know, made fun of for doing it. And so these are all things that are true feelings that you'll have when you try to put yourself out creatively. But I think Penelope comes from a place of, of, hey, like I, I've been doing something similar for 10 years. I mean, under the veil of anonymity, obviously, because she had to be. Mm-hmm. And you you had you have more opportunities than I ever had, so you can't complain. And I like that argument. Although he's he has a right to feel the way he wants to feel, but you do sometimes need a reality check when it comes to things like that too. Right. Well, and I like too that ultimately he is the one who gets over his jealousy, admits to her that he's jealous, and then enlists her to help him. It's so cute when she's reading his journals and he's over her shoulder and over explaining. It's so true. That's what you do. You want to give somebody context for things because you're afraid that they're not going to get it themselves. Not because they're unintelligent, but just because you don't have the confidence necessarily in your work yet. Mm -hmm. So you want to give them as much context as possible for them to like it. And she said, you got to get off the bed. Because I'm a professional writer, so I know what I'm doing. And, you know, he, he does. He She's his editor. He's putting out, I mean, at the end, he's putting out these slim volumes of, you know, an Englishman in, in Paris, uh, an Englishman in Greece, an Englishman in so-and-so, like all the different places he went. And it's cool because he did, like, check his ego a little bit and admitted that, and he says, maybe she's a better writer than him. I mean, she's most definitely a better writer than him. Oh, totally. If nothing else, she's been doing it for 11 years. You yeah. Know, you just, I, writing is something I think the more you do, the better you are at it. And especially, you know, if you've been publishing for 11 years. Um, yeah. I mean, that scene is really amazing. And also, you know, both of us are writers. And we've I've had that experience, too, where I, like, give Pat something to read and then he like will laugh or something i'll be like what what what, what were you laughing at <laughs> yeah you're are you laughing because i suck <laughs> no or i'm like well which joke landed what, what 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 was working you know i think exactly yeah it's hard but now now i send pat stuff and he doesn't read it for weeks so now i'm more like can you just freaking read it um can you just but, say yeah just skim it to see if there's any like <laughs> make sure there's not spelling, spelling errors yeah. Did I did I format it correctly? Just let me know. I'm very bad at that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, that's what I'm happy about, too. I think had Penelope had to be the one to point 
point that out to him or something. I, I think it would have been harder, but that Colin comes to that on his own and then, you know, ends up so proud of her. Ultimately, at the end as well, Cressida has figured out that Penelope is Lady Whistledown. Uh, because she used the same turn of phrase twice, which, you know, Cressida, we do hate you, but that was clever. She's paying it's such an innocuous turn of phrase too, like break my heart or something. That's anybody would use that. That felt a little tenuous to me. I feel like using that phrase in the same sentence about the same thing. I get it. But that's the thing, too. It was so small. Like, Penelope doesn't fuck up. Like, this wasn't, it It wasn't a big thing that she revealed. And I think it was only that she had said it to Cressida and then wrote it in this thing that, like, you know that Cressida was, like, reading that over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, ultimately, what happens is Colin uh, is the one to reveal who she is at this like big fancy ball that his sister throws. Um, and she sort of has the backing of his whole family and her family. And, and it ends up being a positive thing. And, and Colin sort of toasts her with champagne to say, I'm so proud of you. And, and this is who you are. And that was like a lovely full circle moment as well that Colin sort of realizes that. Penelope writing, she then says she's writing a novel. Not that there won't be jealousy to continue because like, you know, whatever, I hope The Wallflower is a giant bestseller for her. Uh, but you see that they would have sort of worked through that. And I think by the end of the novel, they're actually in love with the true versions of themselves, of each other. Um, in a way that like this definitely feels like a happy ever after. More than I think just like an unrequited crush or um or sort of that surface level thing i think it really digs deep down and you know i've you know heard people say that sort of with the bridgertons there's not much action or there's not like a ton of plot and i agree i mean i get that as a criticism but i think it's because these are a lot more uh at least this book it it seems to be a lot more about these sort of emotions and uh, working through these feelings than maybe some other books that are more about just like sort of running around. Well, what did you think of Colin telling like Anthony and, and some of his other family the secret of her identity when she didn't want anybody to know, even if it was for her benefit at the end? I kind of didn't like that he was the one who revealed because so he he tells his family and then he makes the big proclamation. Which I understand. But then okay, so in the in the second epilogue <laughs> Yeah. He tells Hyacinth about who well she, so Hyacinth knows, I guess, because everybody knows now. But then right. she tells Eloise. So Eloise is Penelope's best friend, and Penelope doesn't even get to tell Eloise. I feel like this secret was hers to tell, and I was really upset that it was just bandied about because secrets are important to me. I feel like if you tell somebody a secret, mm-hmm. there might be an assumption that they're going to tell their... Well, no, th- there shouldn't even be an assumption that they're going to tell their mate. For me. Well, I feel like if you are if you don't want someone to tell their partner, you need to say, I don't want you to tell them. And then you and then that is sacred. But I think otherwise, it's... Uh, although that's not true because I have friends who have told me secrets and then I didn't tell Pat because I thought that they were secret. 
Yeah. I mean, and I then think those that's friends the thing have said, like, like, oh, I assumed you would have told Pat. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I can. But I take yeah, it seriously as well. Yeah. Well, and here's another thing. So this is a big thing that we, I think we will split on because, you know, and you've admitted this, you are a, a classic snoop. You love mm-hmm. to snoop. Yes. So Colin's journal was open on the table. And Penelope, so this was in a common area of the, not, I guess, not a common area of the Bridgeton's house because only family and very close people like Penelope, because she feels like part of the family, even before she was with Colin, were allowed into this room. And he left his journal open. And now she doesn't ever turn the page. She, she really makes sure she's just leaning over to read it. But it's a private journal. Would you do that? Yeah, you know I would. Yeah, of course. Okay, I would not. Because I just feel like I'm just, it's not that I'm not curious. I just like privacy so much that I feel like invading other people's privacy is so like, it's the golden rule for me. I mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to karmically do that because then my all of my stuff is up for grabs, you know? Yeah. I guess that's true. I guess I'm also somebody who like I don't really have secrets. Like I've talked about this with like my cousin and stuff where like I'll be like, "Oh, this really private thing happened to me. I don't want anyone to really know." But then I will tell everyone I see. <laughs> like I think that's the thing too is like I don't really have secrets I like sometimes I'll want to keep a secret from like a specific person for whatever reason but like in general if you ask me something about myself maybe it's also because I'm like incredibly vain that I'm just like oh yeah let me tell you this very intimate thing <laughs> I don't have that but I think there's something they think there's something in society where secrets are all suddenly bad like as soon as you say something is secret or i don't want to tell somebody this certain thing there's a negative connotation to it and i feel like that's sad and i think it's a little bit dangerous in our society because what makes us individuals i mean we can go into a long conversation about are we even individuals because obviously we're all star stuff and we're all connected but there are certain things that with the way society is is only you have Like, you really only have your thoughts right now. Your thoughts are your thoughts. And they're really the only thing that you can can have and own. And they don't have to be bad thoughts. They just are your own thoughts. And if you don't want to share them with anybody, then I think that's fine. But if you don't nowadays, it's like, well, what do you have to hide? I'm not hiding anything. I just don't want, you know, I just want to have something that's just mine, if that's okay. And I don't think people want – a lot of people don't want that anymore because society kind of has made them feel like, well, if you're not revealing it, then what? what's so wrong about it? Yeah. I mean, I respect friends' secrets, and I have friends for, like, various reasons. Parts of their lives need to be kept under wraps, and that's fine. Like, I respect that, and I have no problem not revealing – I think I, re- I reveal so many of my own secrets, but – no, people have told me private things that I just don't tell pe- other people. Like I, I, I understand. I respect other people's privacy. I just don't respect my own privacy. <laughs> That's I a good thing. Is that um, a good bumper sticker? <laughs> is that a t-shirt? 
<laughs> oh, listen, I, yeah, again, if anyone knows something that we should put on a t-shirt, let us know. I think it was really important that Colin be the one to tell. Because I think for Penelope, obviously, Lady Whistledown was a secret. I think part of it is for her own protection. But I think part of it is like as a gossip, like there are a lot of gossips, famous gossips who are kept secret because sort of that's how they get their information. Um, and she's, and it was sort of a device of the, of the project. So, but ultimately at the end, after, you know, Penelope is retired as Lady Whistledown, like she doesn't reveal herself. I don't think she necessarily wants or needs to be the center of attention in that way, but she's clearly not upset if she were to be revealed, but ultimately Colin is the one that's forcing her to keep the secret of Lady Whistledown because, for Penelope, it's a bigger tragedy to have someone that she doesn't like, like Cressida, to pretend to be Lady Whistledown than for people to know it's her. She's also like, OK, with people thinking it's Lady Danbury because she really loves Lady Danbury and has a lot of respect for her. So she's like, well, that's fine. If people think she's her, like that's a compliment. Um, so Colin being the one to tell his brothers who, you know, he's most uh, he's very like intimately friends with as well as like them being family, I think is really important because it's signaling to Penelope, like it's okay. Like the people we love can know this and ultimately everybody can know this because this isn't a dirty secret. This is, you didn't do something wrong. You did something really wonderful. Um, so I, I get what you're saying about what it's Penelope's secret to reveal in a way I do think it is, but I do think Penelope doesn't need to get right with who she is and what she's done. Colin needs to get right with it. Yeah. Um, and Hyacinth telling Eloise, I mean, like Hyacinth is kind of like a bitch, <laughs> like, you know, in a loving way. She's that's kind of more her personality. And I don't think that was shown as being like the right thing to do. <laughs> I think it's more showing that like Hyacinth is a little bit manipulative. Yeah. Uh, and I think like with reading this as the as the you said this, the fourth book, correct? Mm-hmm. I had no trouble jumping into it and was not confused one bit, which I think is, you know, a testament to Julie Quinn. And really, I think also, though, since I've done this before, jumped into series and things, it's it it's it doesn't it's it's easy for me to do at this point. Um, I think if we would have done this maybe as a first book for me, I would have been confused because of all these characters, mm-hmm. but she does a good job of giving us just enough information that you're not boring the people who've read the other books and you're giving enough context for the people who are reading this one just out of, out, out of series. Yeah. It does, I, and I think it's hard for us when we are recommended series or books in series, either if it's the start of a series or if it's deep in a series, because it's, authors don't have easy jobs it's really difficult to start a series of books because in that book you have to set up all these characters and this world and also tell a story and also have full characters that are your main characters and have them have a satisfying story and that's a lot to pull off uh and then i think the fourth book in a series it's like you have to write for people who have just read four books in the series three books in the series as well as people who just pick this one up and i think you know, she does do a very Julie, uh, Julia Quinn does do a fantastic job of of walking that tightrope and of having it be interesting to somebody who has read four books, the or, sorry, the previous three books, as well as just somebody who's picking this up cold. Um, 
so yeah i mean it's really well done i feel like we now i'm nervous that we're like coming down too hard on it but like we both really enjoyed the book and i don't think we would be able to have this discussion about a lesser book or a book we didn't enjoy this much oh i don't think we're coming down on the book at all i think i think we're definitely looking at the motivations of the characters in a deeper way than like you said we would if we were just reading this for enjoyment I, mm-hmm. as much as Colin did things that we did not like, I still understood his motivation and I still rooted for them to be together. I was, I'm not like uh-huh. Colin sucks, uh, no. you know, or anything like that. He's just, it's just, he, he was a, a guy that was idealized and then turned out to have faults. And that's everybody. That's everyone mm-hmm. you see, you know, you can't this doesn't really happen now because we're all kind of in our houses, but you know, you're, you're walking down the street and you see somebody and you think, whoa, they got it together. They're so beautiful. They're so confident. The person is a fucking mess, (laughs) but that doesn't mean that they're not a a lovable person. That doesn't mean that they don't deserve love. Right. So that's, I think that's why I think we're, we're not coming down on the actual book itself. Like you said, I think, you know, I zoomed through this book I was sitting outside, you know, in a, in a backyard area, which was, you know, not near anybody. And because it was a beautiful day yesterday and I read this book and you can't beat it. You can't be, beat sitting mm-hmm. out in a 78 degree, not humid day, sun in your face, reading a Bridgerton book. There's nothing better. No. And I... I love this book. I I think them as a couple are so fantastic. And something that I did love too, it's like Penelope obviously has a lot of issues about with self-esteem. She lost 30 pounds at one stage and that's great for her. That's what she wanted. And I think, um, but what I loved about Colin falling in love with Penelope is he talks about it like it it was it, it was very slow and he also it's not that penelope makes a big change like basically she's not she's able to dress how she wants to dress her mother apparently was dressing her in these awful clothes that didn't look good on her so like that's kind of the only thing that really changed but it wasn't this like glow up it wasn't that she did something differently and now he sees her he always um she was always herself and she remains herself and she doesn't change who she is and she doesn't change how she looks. Uh, and, and I really love that he just then fell in love with her as she was. And there was never a makeover or anything. Yeah. Or like a secret ball or, or I don't know. I just think you you see this done in other books and it's done a little bit more clumsily. And Penelope, he, he genuinely is like sexually attracted to her. Yes a lot <laughs> and she still has that residual um self-esteem issues and i think also like when she was young the things that were said about her body and about her as a person those stay with you and so you know the first time that they hook up or like he sees her naked and he's like oh this isn't what i thought and she immediately is like oh he thinks like he he thought it would be better yeah my body isn't that great all this stuff and she's sort of like well tell me really what you did think and he gives this amazing beautiful speech where he's like i've thought of your your <laughs> all so different... much you don't even know yeah exactly every no, different combination yeah. could be anything and i have thought about it so many times you like truly i can't believe i've gotten any work done 
but your actual body is so much more than I could have imagined. Yeah, and he nails just, that. I love that moment for Penelope, and I love that moment for the two of them. Well, yeah, he notices, he starts to notice these things, like he looks at her brown eyes, and he sees flecks of gold in them, and he thinks to himself, why didn't I never notice those before? And he didn't put those flecks of gold in her eyes. He just started to notice it. So it's not a change mm-hmm. on her part. It's a change in his perception of her, which I thought was really mm-hmm. cool. Because that does happen. She's got to, once she is able to talk to people and feels comfortable to talk to people, she does have a really good personality. And that does make you more attractive. Oh, totally. So here's yeah. the big question, obviously. Would you fuck them? Yes and yes, obviously. Come on. Yeah, I would fuck them both. I I think as much as Colin has faults once you get to know him, like everybody, I do think he's the crooked smile got me from the beginning. His his affable <laughs> manner, even though he can get angry, just there I respond to people like that cuz I think I'm so kind of tightly wound in a way that people who can mm-hmm. kind of just cruise through, you know, like someone like Cam who, you know, yeah. Cam was somebody who, you know, showed that he had certain thing, like he could get jealous and upset about certain things, but his everyday demeanor was more things just slide off my back and I just envy people like that. But it is nice to know that they also have extreme hangups as well and feel <laughs> the same way about themselves that I do. They just purport themselves in different ways. So, yeah, so I would still fuck him. You know, I'd throw Lady Danbury a, a bang. That's what I was thinking, too. I was like, when justice for Lady Danbury, like, I want her to, like, can we get her a novella or something? Like, she seems fantastic. We didn't even talk about their relationship, but their rela- the relationship between Penny and Lady Danbury is amazing. And I really would love to see more Lady Danbury, and I would love to see her find love. Yeah. I mean, it's two, quote, unquote, misfits, but they're really the two people who kind of have their, you know, Danbury is just kind of like, this is who I am. Right. Come at me. And and I could see why people in society don't like her because she doesn't kiss any ass and she loves to stir the mm-hmm. pot. And that's what Penelope was doing just in secret, which was also very cool. Right. And I think Lady Danbury is the first person outside of maybe like Eloise or, you know, who really sees Penelope. And I think Lady Danbury knows that it's Penelope the whole time. Oh yeah. I have a feeling. That's why she, like she, she loved when Penelope yeah. was like, I think it's you. <laughs> and Danbury <laughs>, laughs. And she's right. Like, it ain't me. It's you. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I love Lady Danbury is a really special character. She's wonderful. Yeah. So that, that, I mean, all around, I mean, I do think this is, Pick what you want to read because everybody has their own prerogative. But I would say, you know, this this is a this is something that I would highly, highly recommend that people read. Yeah, this whole series, I would say it's not without its fault. And I think um, the Duke and I people have talked about the issues with that book. I think they're very real. And I think also Julia Quinn has talked about how it, were she to write that now, it would she would write it differently yeah it's 20 years so you're gonna you're gonna think differently hopefully if you're a person who thinks about things 20 i mean me 20 years ago would not be doing this podcast oh yeah well we would have been 15 i would have been 15 
yeah, it wouldn't be legal for us to do this podcast together. <laughs> I'd be doing a podcast but, about energy drinks. Yeah, you did love energy drinks for so long. I yeah, I so I think it's I think the Duke and I is worth reading, but it, if you are sensitive to to certain content things, I would just implore you to to look that up before just to make sure that it's something that you would be comfortable with. Um, but ultimately, I do think this is a really wonderful series. I see 100% why it was optioned and made, and especially by Shonda Rhimes. I think it's going to be so good. I hope so. I hope, really, that it is good, uh, because I think that means it'll make more room for more romance on the on the big and small screen, which I think is gonna would be wonderful. And we'll watch it no matter what. We're watching no matter what. Also, if they want to hire us to write on it, like, we'll do that as well. So, you know, just call us. Yeah. Um, you know where you can find us. Yeah. Or we'll just, we're, we'll show up at your house. <laughs> yeah. Let us know. <laughs> so we're threatening them now. No, in, like, a friendly way. Okay. Like, we won't come in, but, like, just open, maybe we're there. <laughs> we'll just open just your door. stand outside the window. <laughs> you know, in a rabbit Listen, mask. Just in case you need anything. You know, in like animal oh masks God. and stuff. Just like, because animals aren't threatening. Okay, no, this is scary. <laughs> no masks. Um, well, yes, masks. Everyone wear a mask whenever you leave the house, just for everybody's safety. But a nice cloth mask over your, that fits tightly over your nose and your mouth and not a clown uh, mask. You know, not a clown mask. Um, all right, should we do Goodreads list? Yeah, let's do it. I'm excited. This got to be on a million lists. Oh, this is on so many lists. And I actually, now that I'm looking at it, I don't know what I was thinking yesterday. I put, I just put basically everything on the list. So if we get bored halfway through, we could just sort of 86 the rest. Yeah, you can skip through um, a fun, some of them, I think. Probably. Best historical romances where the quiet, unusual girl gets the guy. Yes, she is quiet and she's unusual for the time. So I agree. I've loved you for years. Yes, she loved him at first sight. Yeah. Uh, best romances with spinters, wallflowers, or old maids. Yeah. Best romantic beta heroes. Yeah, I guess he is a beta. I think he's an alpha beta. I don't know. I think he defies the 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 Greekification. I don't know that he's either. I think that he has some alpha scenes and he has some beta scenes. So I would say. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think Keep he's, it on the list, I guess. He's not on the scale. Yeah, I don't think he he should be on that list. Plain Jane's and Hot Stud romance novels. So she's a plain Jane, according to a lot of people. We find out that she's actually not a plain Jane. She's she's sexual napalm. But he's I guess he's a hot stud, although he's not very sexual. Like he doesn't come off as a rake or anything. I'm assuming he's had sex before, obviously, but his thing is he's charming. I don't, he's not like a guy who walks around with a hard dick, you know? Plus size heroines, formerly true plus. I Here's the thing. Like, I do love Julie, Julia Quinn, and I think she's great. Uh, she has some issues around weight that I find odd. Um, I don't love also in these books when people are, and this is also, you know, whatever, it was written 18 years ago, when people are specific about the amount of weight, I find it to be really... It could be like a bit upsetting and basically they're saying any there's a moment where Cressida says like anyone over 140 pounds like should it even be in the ton which is like insane because oh, yeah. it's like that's a very small amount of weight well um, her so as Lady Whistledown she refers to herself Penelope as a hideous pudge <laughs> hideous pudges of romance um 
Okay. Falling in love with best friend. Best friend's brother. Brother's best friend. Yes. Sister's best friend. Yes. I had to wrap my head around that. Romance between friends. Yeah, they they are friends. Yeah, they're definitely friends for a lot of years. It does seem like they talk and he like gives her a lot of pity dances, which she's so sad about, like all of his brothers do. Those Bridgerton men, though, they're nice guys. Yeah. Um, Ugly duckling to swan, Pygmalion romance. Yeah. Fluffy girls and the men who love them. Is fluffy, if, is fluffy another term for plus size? I guess I've never heard it and it made me laugh so that I put it on the <laughs> list, but... I guess so, Fluffy. Uh, when crushes finally take notice. Yes, that happens, definitely. Hero, heroine is a writer, historical romance. Mm-hmm, yeah. They're both writers. Yeah. Um, so a hero and heroine are writers. Uh, happy, witty, fun historical romance novels? Yes, I feel like you can read this two ways. And I think you can read this in a very surface level. And it's like kind of happy and silly. There's a lot of funny moments, funny turn of phrases and stuff. And I do think you could read it as like a little bit deeper. And I obviously I think that experience is more. But like, yeah, if you want just kind of like a happy, fun romance, this is also that for sure. Yeah. Uh, favorite Dukeless historical romances? Yeah, no Dukes. Beauty burden, male. Yeah, he does look at his beauty as a burden, and she says, uh-uh, buddy. It's a positive. Uh, favorite couples in historical romance? I like them. Yeah, I think individually, they don't stand out to me as, like, my faves, but I think I really mm-hmm. like them together. Yeah, I mean, I think Penelope is the star of this relationship, and I she's probably one of my favorite heroines. But, and I like Colin too. Yeah, as a couple, I think they're pretty great. And I think as a couple, they are better than the sum of their parts. So that's always, you know, kind of what you're looking for too. Heroine with a backbone in romance. Yeah, like you said before, she gets what she wants, but she doesn't do it in like a, I'm going to scream and yell at you kind of way. She Mm -hmm. maneuvers her way in the background in a way, which she's learned is powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I like, yeah, I like people like that. I have uh, no patience for that. <laughs> so I think it's that sort of thing where I'm like, oh, people who can just like quietly move towards the thing they want. That's, that seems pretty great. Um, heroin in pursuit. She gets her man. Yeah. She always wanted him. She wasn't actually doing anything that proactive to get him really. It just kind of happens, but that's good. Cause she, she grew yeah. into herself without, really thinking it was an option right exactly yeah historical romance with best ending the ending is fine the ending doesn't necessarily stand out to me it's it's him revealing her to be lady whistledown and then they are both writers yeah and then there's two epilogues the second epilogue i don't think i needed to read no the second epilogue is more of an epilogue for eloise's book than this book i think um books that should be made into movies no, they should be made into TV series. Yes. Uh, mistaken identity romance. Mm-hmm, yeah. Best second chance romance. I wouldn't say this is second chance. I think they, they were never no. dating before. Um, quarantine calls for historical romance. 
Yes. I what think if you're in quarantine, I think like if while you're in quarantine, reading a ton of historical romance, oh, okay. I think that's great. And I think this is a great series to read during quarantine because you got nothing but time. And it's this is eight books. So you'll really get your money's worth. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I agree. Fresh scent of pining hero. Does he pine very slightly? I feel he pines a little bit, yeah. but he could always have her. I feel like this should be fresh scent of pining heroine. She pines for him. Yes. She did. The last list is, well, I guess I'm too old for love now. Spinsters and romance. <laughs> yes. I love the list name. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, definitely. But she's not too old for love. She thought that, but she wasn't. You're never too old for love. And again, we will put out a call for Lady Danbury's book. Yes. In case anyone, listen, if you know Julia Quinn or if you are Julia Quinn, you know, we're giving away ideas for free. All right, Clayton, what are your tropes? Yes, my tropes are love at first sight, Penelope, body image issues, because she has body image issues. She calls herself a hideous pudge. Age <laughs> difference, he's twenty. she's 28, he's 33. Big secret, which was the Lady Whistledown stuff. Secret identity, I've loved you so long, which is Penelope again. Slow burn on Colin's part, because he, you know, slowly becomes in love with her. Quiet, unusual girl. Blue stocking heroine. She makes her own money. Yeah, she does. Secret writer, hero, and heroine, because he was hiding that he was a writer as well. And Eloise was hiding that she was a letter writer, but that's a whole different thing. We don't need to talk about Eloise. A lot of secret writing going on here. Mm Mm-hmm. Secret correspondence. Hero is always hungry. Colin was always hungry. That was like a joke where he would always need more food if he showed up. And he'd always be like, I'm hungry. I can't think. Which is really funny mm-hmm. because it's it's very cartoonish. But something about it made me... I like liked it a little bit, even though I knew it was kind of goofy. It reminded me of how like Brad Pitt in all of the Oceans movies is always eating. Like he just decided his character would always be eating. It's always like, and I'm like, oh, this is like a rusty thing. Yeah, he's always like eating like fruit cocktail out of a cup or something. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also sometimes in these books, they'll have uh, like at the end, they'll be like, this person had a mysterious uh, illness. And actually it was this and it wasn't diagnosed until this time. But this is how they would have dealt with it. It would have been funny if Colin was like. Uh, he had an extreme uh, tapeworm that he picked up in <laughs> India, and that's why he could not stop eating. Uh, yeah, should that, that be on be the diagnosed for many? Should years? we just put that on the li- like a list where it's like heroes with tapeworms? <laughs> I, it's possible. I mean, like it was excessive. Like that, people were like, "The sandwiches are coming, Colin. Just calm the fuck down." <laughs> yeah, he did have some sort of blood sugar situation at the very least. Oh, for sure. A hero with a crooked smile, which I'm finding that that's uh, a thing that I like. Mm-hmm. And Scandal Sheets, which is so funny because we've talked about Scandal Sheets before in other books. And it's interesting how people act as if, like, the internet was the first time anybody ever judged anybody's, like, appearance. But mm-hmm. Scandal Sheets, yeah, like, if you're in society, these Scandal Sheets would take you down. Oh, Totally. Yeah, that's, that's a, yeah, these definitely existed. So there's always been Um, people making catty comments about other people's appearances 
from the beginning of time. There's cave drawings of people making fun of other people's, like, appearances, so. <laughs> yeah. There's a Sarah McLean, a friend of the podcast, has a great series all about that. Uh, the if, Now I'm trying, it's like the Scandal Something series, but it's, um, but it's really well done and it's all just based around gossip. So Aaron, what are your tropes? So um, I have in love with best friend's brother, sis- in love with sister's best friend, ugly duckling, large families, secret identities, I've loved you so long, wallflowers in love, friends to lovers, uh, heroine is a writer. Heroine is a very good writer and the hero is intimidated. <laughs> Clearly I wrote that this lays like halfway through the book, <laughs> but I stand by it. Those were my yeah. tropes. Uh, all right, Clayton, what has you uh, swooning this week? Well, so I've been listening to a lot of new music lately, which is good because sometimes I will go, I'll go for a long time and and not find anything that I want to listen to that's new, and I have an overabundance of stuff right now. And you know, since a lot of bands can't tour, I like to buy albums. I go to Bandcamp because they get a good percentage of the sales. And obviously, you know. I don't have a family, I don't have kids, things like that, so I can afford to do that. But I, I like I like to have the opportunity to do that now. So one of the bands that I got really into was a band from New York called Nation of Language, and they have an album out right now that is called Introduction Presence. They're a very '80s leaning, like early early 80s kind of new wave band sounding Mm -hmm. so they kind of sound like really early omd so orchestral maneuvers in the dark really stark really just synths and vocals and they're very cool (laughs) as you can tell because i i think they're cool but it's such a i love that sound and they're such a throwback and I just really got into this album a lot. So I would say Nation of Language, that's what I'm swooning about. And if you have the opportunity to, you know, support bands or support creative people, maybe, you know, I, I have Spotify and I use Spotify. But if I'm listening to an album, if I listen to an album like more than five times on Spotify, I try to buy it. Yeah. Because they don't get shit from Spotify. And Spotify for me is a way to find music I want to buy. And I know I'm in a, I'm probably in a privileged position, so I don't want to shame anybody for using Spotify, but that's just how I am. I'm like, I, I can't, I need to like put my money where my mouth is sometimes. So Aaron, what has you swooning? Yeah. So I'll, I'm also swooning about music. So <laughs> I get so excited because I'm like, what could it be? Is it something I'll like? I think I honestly, I think this will be something you really like. So I am in uh I've, I've swooned before about the artist way. I'm in a weekly artist way group uh, that I really love um, and something that I love about it. It's it's five women total. Uh, two of the women are musicians. One of the women um, named Cassandra Violet has just released her album uh, Super Bloom or Super Bloom is the first single off the album. Um and she's great. She's very like folky and poppy and her lyrics are really 
funny, <laughs> like funny turn of phrases and stuff. I and I really am loving it. I I I she's lovely and obviously a friend so I like her (laughs) as a person but I really love her music and I have found myself listening to it a ton um and it's really really great so her name is uh Cassandra Violet the uh the one single that I keep listening to is called Super Bloom and it's all about um being overexposed uh in social media which is something that I know she thinks about a lot so uh if you're looking for a new singer songwriter kind of folksy, um, I would say like a little bit maybe Casey Musgraves ish. Um, check her out; she's wonderful. She's, uh, you know, she's up and coming. She's out there doing really great work, and I really, uh, and I really, and I really love it. So I'm swooning about her. All right, so Erin, where can they find us? This uh, so. Please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, everybody. Reviews are how people find us. You guys have been writing really fun euphemisms in the reviews, which we love. Keep that up for sure. <laughs> uh, it's been fun. Uh, you can always email us at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. That is a great way to find us. Um, if you want to suggest a book, if you want to say hi, if you know you have thoughts about anything we've said, we want to hear them and, and feel free to email us there. We're on Twitter at Learning Tropes, on Instagram at learning the tropes we have our facebook group the learning the tropes troop come over and join us there um and then finally we have merchandise finally this is our gonna be your second week of having merchandise um so if you want a t-shirt if you want a baby onesie if you want a laptop cover (laughs) uh stickers we have them available for you uh the link is in uh the show notes so feel free just click through there um and then we're buying stuff i'm i'm like excited i know we want to we want to do more stuff too when we've already got you know where's our where's our no pussy for the man shirts Mm -hmm. we're we're gonna be working on some stuff and if you have any you know if you have any suggestions email us all that stuff facebook let us know because we want i mean obviously the merch is for you guys if you want it and we want to give you what you want so let us know Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then so next episode, we're watching a movie. We're not reading a book. We are watching The Lost Husband, which is a Netflix movie with uh, Leslie Bibb of Popular and Josh Duhamel. Um, So uh, producer Patty will probably join us for that one. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. So uh, join us then and we will see you next week. Uh, Learning the Tropes is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media backslash podcast. Bye, everybody.